Hi there, TJs. It's John here. Hope you're enjoying the heat wave that we're experiencing, in the UK at least. Uh, I spoke to Jo Rawbone recently. Uh, she is founder of Flourishing Introverts and an introvert herself. We talked about spotting introverts in your team Uh, talent management and how to get the most out of people who are introverted Uh, the idea of well-being mental health and introversion and extroversion and lots of things in that paradigm of learning and development very interesting conversation really good to speak to joe so get that cup of tea and enjoy my first question to you uh, is about introverts how how can you spot introverts in your team and has the whole issue of more people Uh, working remotely made it more difficult? It's a great question and it's a pleasure to be here with you John and one of the things I always say is it's really dangerous to play the spot the introvert game because there are so many different types of introverts we're not all the same and if we take it on the surface that there are six different types pure types of introverts and then many blends you really can't spot us by our behaviour except there's something that really gives us away. And the the thing that gives us away typically is our communication process. So on the whole, introverts have a think, say, think communication process. So when you ask us a question, we want to take some time out to really think about it, to make sure that what we're giving you is our considered and honest response. But because of the pace of business, of meetings, and how many extroverts typically are there doing their say, think, say communication process. We often don't get to the say part of our process. So it looks like we don't have anything to say. We don't have anything to to contribute. But actually what we're doing is thinking. So for me, that's the biggest giveaway with introverts and how to spot us. But the other thing is because what we need is to recharge our batteries quietly, our mental batteries quietly, what we'll often do is kind of check out. So we'll go offline either mentally or sometimes physically and it looked like the lights are on but nobody's in. And what we're doing in that moment is just recharging, ready for the next kind of moment. So I'd say on the whole, don't try and, and spot us, don't try and second guess but I would just notice those signs that come from the communication differences and also just notice when we check out and it's not that we're bored. It's not that we're disinterested. It's not that we're disengaged. It's like we're gathering our breath and actually just recharging so that we can keep going. The second part to your question was, is it more difficult kind of spotting us remotely and possibly But I think one of the big giveaways is that for, for instance, virtual meetings, introverts are usually the ones who would prefer to have their cameras off, who still may not kind of contribute too much. And so I think it's it's harder to notice, notice us, I suppose, remotely, because we're also typically very resourceful, very resilient. So we won't be the ones saying, I need help with this, I need help with that notice me spot me kind of doing things so we're we're very independent so there are a few giveaways and I think if you spot any of those giveaways I'd say then do 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 a little bit of digging and just find out whether that's what's going on for us or whether there's something else and whether it's somebody who's perhaps more of an extrovert just in a difficult moment 
this is not something I plan to say, but uh, you, you make reference to uh, yourself quite a few times there. So you're very much uh, kind of analysed yourself as an introvert, I, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the pivotal moment for me came in my 30s when I did the Myers-Briggs type indicator and the little passage I was reading about my type, which happens to be an ISFJ, was like someone seeing into my very soul. Now, I know that Myers-Briggs has a lot of critics and, you know, that potentially it's not as robust as people think. But for many of us who spent years, if not decades, thinking there was something wrong with us because we were forever being told to be different, that moment of going, actually, I'm not weird, I'm just wired differently, is like a, a moment of absolute bliss. And I then went on to train as a MBTI practitioner. And one of the things I really loved about that process was being told that your type is not an excuse for your behavior. So knowing your type is just around self-awareness. It's not around putting you in a box. What's, what it's about saying is this is typically how we would experience you behaving and, and how you experience yourself. But actually, the art here is to learn how to flex in order to get on the same wavelength. So, yeah, I'm proudly an introvert, John. Good stuff. Um, I mean, there's obviously, um, as you said, there's, there's lots of different types on display here for people. But um, to broadly take the two of introvert and extrovert, do you think yeah. it's worth developing, say, t separate talent management strategies for one for introverts and one for extroverts. Do you think that would be beneficial? Uh, no, is my quick answer to that. Because uh, if we agree that a talent management strategy is, is where actually what we're doing is acquiring and developing talent to meet the business vision, mission, objectives, etc., then actually what we need to do is make sure that, that what we're doing is we're picking up and identifying those skills, those traits, those qualities that help us get where we need to get to. So in terms of a strategy, no, it's essential, I believe, that actually we have one strategy, but within that, we take the time to notice, you know, the neurodiversity that's within, that's within individuals. Because you know, anyone who's serious about the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda will know that um, being aware of those aspects of neurodiversity is incredibly important. I think it's, it's necessary that all organisations de deliver business-wide, firm-wide education programmes so that we start to really appreciate and value difference. Otherwise, how can we create really equitable and inclusive opportunities for people? But in terms of, of different programs or different strategies, no, absolutely not. Because for me, that further creates or, or deepens the divide, I think. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about, well, first, I think we need a primer here on what extroversion bias is. And yeah. then my following question is gonna, was going to be, um, What's the impact of it on well-being and mental health? We're recording this at the very start of Mental Health Awareness Week, although mm -hmm. like all these things, uh, mental health awareness should not be confined to just a week. But um, yeah, yeah a, a quick sort of primer on what extroversion bias is would be great. Yeah, okay, thanks. So for, for me, extroversion bias is, is all of the business practices and processes that favour 
the behavior of extroverts, excuse me, big block in my throat. So it's the business practices and processes that favor the behavior of an extrovert. And it starts with things like recruitment and assessment centers. So I've, I've actually sat in on some of those where people are marked down if they don't contribute enough. So, so the, the, I suppose the less well-informed recruiters and assessors are the ones who are looking for quantity of contribution rather than quality of contribution. Um, it goes on into our meeting cultures in business where, you know, we'll have a spontaneous meeting where nobody's particularly prepared and because introverts have that think, say, think communication process, that hasn't given us time to do our research, to do our prep and come into a meeting well informed. Now, of course, I know there have to be spontaneous meetings, but I think a lot of it is, is actually down to lack of prep and in some cases laziness in terms of whoever's calling the meeting. And most people would benefit from having an opportunity to prep, even if they don't take that opportunity up. Um, problem solving is the same. You know, there's been a resurgence recently of this working out loud processes. Again, that favours the extroverts. It doesn't favour the introverts. And when we think about um, some of the myths and misconceptions that we're arrogant, that we're stuck up, that we're lonely, that we, we lack ambition because we don't push ourselves forward, all of those things really speak to that extroversion bias where somebody decided at some point that what made good managers, what made good leaders, what made good business was people who spoke more than they thought, who pushed themselves forward more than helped other people perhaps move forward. So I suppose a question I often carry is who decided that it was the introverts who were neurodiverse and not the extroverts? I find that kind of, I ponder that quite often. Uh, and in training courses, you know, there's bias in there from things, from things like, and it may sound silly to some people, but, you know, the creeping death of introductions where it's like, okay, so we start at one side of the room and work all the way around. And then the introverts are thinking, oh, it's 16 people till it gets to me or whatever it happens to be. And that awful old pose, pause, pounce method of asking questions where, you know, you, you kind of pose a question, wait a moment and then say, so Joe, what's your answer to that? Well, that hasn't necessarily given me time to think through my answer. I remember being quite shocked on a training course, and this was in my late 40s, maybe even early 50s, actually, not that, well, yeah, decade or two ago. But where somebody, um, the trainer asked me a question, I did my normal think, say, think approach, and kind of, you know, just sat back and to reflect and he then moved on to ask the question of somebody else and never came back to me for my answer. And then at the end of the course, I, he gave me feedback that I lacked confidence and needed to speak up more. Well, actually, neither of those is necessarily true. I certainly don't lack confidence. But what I did want was that trainer to understand my communication process and give me time to think. These days, I'm much better at using placeholders in conversation. So I'll say things like, God, that's a really interesting question. And, and I notice as I'm pondering that question, that I can see things from a number of different angles. But if I look at which one kind of takes precedence, all of that is just fluff and filler to give my brain time to work out what my answer is. But 
I don't really see why I should have to do that, why people don't understand that actually some people just need thinking time. Give us time and, and we'll, we'll happily give you the answer that matters to us. So that's for me a bit about the extroversion bias and where it exists. And, you know, my observation working as I have for over 30 years in organisations internationally, you know, it's endemic in pretty much every organisation I've worked in. In terms of how it impacts well-being and mental health, if you think about the fact that, as Jung described, introverts are overstimulated mentally, so they don't need additional external stimulation, which is actually what the extroverts require in order to get their mental batteries charged. As soon as we're in an overly busy environment, an open plan office, a meeting where there's a, a kind of talking shop rather than being something where there's, you know, real time for consideration, our batteries are draining at a super fast rate. Imagine your mobile phone battery watching it just kind of, you know, go down or the fuel gauge on your car when you've got your foot to the floor and you just watch it kind of reduce. That's what happens to introverts. And the first thing in terms of the, the stage or how it impacts us is overwhelm. So we'll go into that state of overwhelm. And if you know introverts, you may have heard them say, I'm all peopled out or I've done enough peopling for today. And that's when we tend to go offline. We just kind of check out mentally, as I say, if not emotionally. We will quite often take ourselves off to the bathroom or something just to give ourselves a, a chance to recharge. If we can't recharge adequately, then the next stage is into introvert hangover. Now, imagine the worst hangover you've ever had, but without the alcohol. That's what's so unfair about it. <laughs> you know, that that moment when nothing will do but a duvet day. That's what introvert hangover is like. And that's a serious sign that actually we need to do some you know, recharging, plug ourselves into the corner of the room and, and actually get ourselves back to full strength. If that's not possible, then we're into introvert burnout. And I've only been here once in my life, I'm happy to say, but it took me three months to get over. And it was a, a miserable three months where I sat and stared at my computer screen and didn't do anything, wasn't capable of doing anything. And, and it took me that long to recover. And all of that is because we are operating in this society that demands us to be something we're not. It demands inauthenticity of us. It demands us to pretend in order to fit in and get on. And, you know, imagine the toll that takes on our mental health and well-being over time. Mm. Listening to what you say, I'm thinking, have you know, sort of di diagnosing myself in the past thinking is maybe that's what I've experienced at times. Um, but uh, to stick with introverts and extroverts for my final question, uh, there's a lot been said, especially recently, about hybrid working, the pros and cons, whether it's here to stay. Um, there are people with vested interest in getting people back into the office. Um, likewise, there are people uh, keeping everyone working remotely but um what do you think is the best strategy for both introverts and extroverts and how would you convince the the hires up as it were that that hybrid working is the best strategy for for uh, different types of people i think there is a lot to be said for hybrid working 
especially where it is treated as it was always intended, where people choose where they get their work done. Because what you'll notice is that more introverts will choose to get their work done from home or from somewhere quiet, you know, home if it's an introvert friendly space, somewhere quiet if they need to retreat somewhere. Extroverts typically will choose to go into the office more often because they need that social interaction, that those active experiences in order to keep their batteries recharged. So I think it's I think it's a great strategy if it's applied in the way that it was intended. But I've seen some organisations recently who say we're operating hybrid working, which means you must be in the office at least two days a week. Well, okay, that's that's not quite hybrid as as I think it was originally intended. It's about people genuinely choosing. And when you think about the benefits of that, so if I had to persuade the board or hires up whoever it was that, you know, it's a good idea. I mean, A, there's the cost savings for a building, an office itself that come with not needing so many desks, not needing so many, you know, uh, so much space in order for people to operate. From the individual's perspective, there is, you know, the, the saving on the commute, both in terms of time and in terms of money. But I think what's really interesting is if we look at the productivity and most organizations, of course, are interested in the productivity and and the work getting done. Most introverts will find that they were more productive when they were working from home in lockdown if they were in an introvert friendly space. And and yet that's where many extroverts struggle because they didn't have that social interaction. And if we're looking at people really doing their best work, you know, an introvert will find it really hard to get into flow in a um, an open plan office. So, you know, that that concept of flow where actually the time passes, we're able to immerse ourselves into a task where where things get done that seemed, you know, previously undoable. And so that's how more work gets done to a better standard, um, provided what we're doing is we're not allowing the hybrid working to create another divide because I can quite see the time where the extroverts are mainly in the office, the introverts are mainly at home and there's a danger with the um, ill-informed manager of out of sight, out of mind. So that means all the opportunities, the exciting projects, the great work gets shared with the extroverts who may be in the office and not the introverts don't get considered for opportunities like that. So I, th- I think it's really about making sure that we take time to understand what people want, how we can put in place a hybrid system that works for everyone so that what we're doing is genuinely creating equitable, inclusive opportunities and cultures where everyone is able to be their best and do their best. Sounds like the way forward. I mean, definitely um, your point about people feeling like they may be passed over um, the out of sight, out of mind thing, I think is is definitely a concern um, and a sensitivity for a lot of people. Um, but Joe, thanks ever so much for your time today. And um, we'll be publishing more of your writings, no doubt, uh, in the future on TJ. But for now, thank you. speak to you soon. Thanks very much indeed. It was a pleasure.